my God is alive, my God is alive, my God is creator and he is alive, my God is alive, my God is alive, my God is creator and he is alive. He made all the heavens and earth, yes it's true, he showed all his glory so there's no excuse. So worship, adore him, and baptize his name. So let us the ages his greatness proclaim. My God is alive, my God is alive, my God is alive. The Christ is alive, the Christ is alive, the Christ is our Savior, and he is alive. The Christ is alive. The Christ is alive, the Christ is our Savior, and He is alive. He rose from the bondage and gloom of the grave, exalted on high for the life that He gave. So glory and honor and praise is His name. So chaos of kingdoms His sonship proclaim. The Christ is alive, the Christ is alive. The Christ is alive. God's Word is alive. God's Word is alive. God's Word is the Bible and it is alive. God's Word is alive. God's Word is alive. God's Word is the Bible and it is alive. The Spirit inspired the great men of God who penned all the mercies while it sharpens and swords and it pierces the same. Since powers is failing, its worth we proclaim. God's word is alive. God's word is alive. God's word is alive. I would like to share with you something that I find both amazing and also kind of confusing at times. And I, it is about the Trinity of God. Now, what that means is, you know, that's a word actually not found in Scripture. But I think it's important that we know this because, you know, you likely believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, but we don't really necessarily call it that. You know, you might be familiar with it as the, the Godhead, or you might just know it as this is a way of saying that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together. You know, there's some differences. Yes, there's some maybe unique roles that they play, but they all work together and they all are God. Well, what I want to do with you is actually share with you that that idea doesn't just come in the New Testament. You know, sometimes people think that the New Testament is the first time we ever get this idea that God is, is three in one. You know, we might even kind of sing about that sometimes. But that concept, that idea, it comes from the Old Testament. I mean, we see in the pages of the Old Testament that God is more than uh, one person, um, even though he's the same being. Um, I'll share with you several passages that kind of show that. But before we get into the Old Testament, I kind of want to start with the New Testament passage. I want to start with the final passage from this morning's sermon. That's where some of the final words that Jesus said before he left this earth. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 very familiar to you. We call it the Great Commission. But notice what he says um, here in the middle of it. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now, maybe you've noticed this even from this morning's uh, sermon, that, you know, as I was talking about the name of God, I was kind of mixing some of this from the name being combined with also Jesus from the New Testament. And that might have been a little confusing, but hopefully in this lesson you'll see that it shouldn't be confusing to us. In the sense of, like verse 19 tells us to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, I mean, some ways of looking at it, they're all the same in the sense of they're all God, but they're also uh, unique in some of the roles that they play. And obviously, it's, it's even stated right here about baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, they are distinct enough that they get three different mentions right here. And some people look at this and they say, well, you know, right here, it's pretty plain that this is something that we see in the New Testament. But do we see it in the Old Testament? And to that, I want us to go back to the beginning uh, to see the, the Trinity that's found in the Old Testament. And I mean, literally back to the very beginning of the Bible, all the way back to Genesis chapter one. In fact, not just Genesis one, but Genesis one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Did you realize that the very first two verses of the Bible, the first one speaks of God and the second one speaks of the spirit of God. So already we start to get a sense of, um, yes, there's one, but there's also kind of more than one in a sense of, you know, there's more than one um, person as we sometimes kind of describe this because we see God the Father and we see God the Holy Spirit already in the first two verses of the Bible. And what I want us to do is I want us to kind of continue on this idea and, and continue to see that the, the Trinity, the idea of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it has this, this history that continues on throughout the book of Genesis and, and even longer than that. But most certainly it appears several times in the book of Genesis, and I just want to share with you some of them. Uh, we are going to overlook uh, quite a lot of them, really. But I want to show you some that are uh, that are pretty um, plain. Um, sometimes I want to show you some that are just kind of maybe I find interesting and that I think can be helpful in thinking about God as one, but yet also kind of uh, three in one as well. So as we trace this history of the Trinity that's found in the book of Genesis, uh, now we're going to go from verse uh, chapter one all the way to chapter 31. And if you remember... Um, Abraham even has his own encounters, and we're going to overlook some of those, okay? So we're just going to kind of skip that for now. I, I know, but we will. So Abraham, if you remember, he has a son, Isaac, and then we have Jacob. Well, Jacob actually has a dream, and already in this time, we see that, that Jacob is starting to recognize that God is, is kind of bigger than what he thought of before. And that's one thing that I think the, the, uh, the doctrine of of God being three in one should teach us is that uh, God can be a little confusing because I mean we're human he's God um, he's very detailed he's um, very interesting you know and even our own self one thing that I like to remind people you know even our our own self uh, we're made up of you know we have a mind we have a body and we have a soul so you know if you want to kind of use that distinction or if you want to um, to use 
that we have a soul, a spirit, uh, and a body. You know, however you kind of want to think about that, we are confusing creatures in and of ourselves. Well, God is also um, a very interesting and in-depth um, creature, uh, being of his own. Uh, so here, back to what I'm supposed to be talking about here. Uh, chapter 31, Jacob has a dream, but notice how he talks about God within this dream. In Genesis 31, verses 11 through 13, the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Okay, so maybe you've kind of figured out where we've jumped into this story about Jacob. Um, and we see that God is giving him this, uh, this dream right here. But notice that it says in verse 11, the angel of God said to him. What did the angel of God say to him? The angel of God said in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel. Well, we see that the angel is making the statement that he is God. And by the way, this is a very interesting um, character in the Old Testament and carries over into the New Testament as well. The angel of the Lord or the angel of God. You know, sometimes we just kind of think about that as, oh, well, that's a good angel. Yes, it's a good angel. But there's many passages like this that it's it's almost as if the angel of God is God himself. In fact, that's what the angel says right here. The angel of God is saying that he is God. And this also kind of makes sense because if you sort of want to look at it kind of like this, I guess, if, if this is helpful to you, that many times in the Old Testament and in the New, angels appeared just like human beings. So whenever the angel of God appears, he might have just looked like a regular human being, but yet he was God. It was a way for God to reveal himself in kind of a, in kind of a lesser form. Um, I guess you would say a manageable form for us because we can't actually see God in all of his glory or else we quite literally would die just because of the, the greatness and the, the holiness of God and the, the glory of God. But yet God has still found ways to reveal himself. And apparently the way that God has revealed himself to us is through this angel. Uh, he takes on a lesser form to reveal himself and to communicate to us throughout history. So that's why this angel says, I am the God. Now, keep in mind that Jacob, his name is later changed to Israel. And then Israel, later in the book of Genesis, talks about angel and God and kind of meshes these things together at the end, toward the end of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 48, this is whenever Israel is giving out his, his blessings to the, uh, the sons of Joseph. But this is that occasion right here. It's kind of an interesting occasion, um, but yet we sometimes kind of miss some of the even more interesting parts about it. Verses 14 through 16. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. So now here within this blessing uh, that Israel is blessing them with, 
um, we see that he, he does this interesting thing about, you know, crossing his arms, which, you know, it's kind of weird. And that's probably about as far as we get in this passage. We look at that and we're like, oh, well, this is kind of an interesting theme that appears in the book of Genesis. Uh, but the really big thing is the fact of he says in verse 15, as he's blessing it, he says, may the God. And then he goes again, talking about the God. And then you might expect for him to say something else about God. But he actually says in verse 16, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. You notice he says, God, God, and it's kind of the same subject right there in those two things. And then he says, angel, which is the same subject still, because then he follows this in with, he says, may the God, and then says some things, and then the God says some things. And then he says, the angel, he says something. And then he says, may he bless these boys. And by the way, that may he bless, uh, that's singular. So he's kind of saying that, well, he's not just kind of. He is saying that the angel and God are the same. This is where I, uh, this is where I, I believe we see the Trinity being found right here, even in the pages of the Old Testament. And this isn't just in the pages of the Old Testament. This is the pages of the first book of the Old Testament. But it appears throughout the rest of the, the Old Testament as well and throughout the, the New Testament. Uh, now, let's take a look at my, my personal favorite and one that we kind of looked at this morning too. Uh, but I want us to see maybe a few uh, different verses than what we looked at this morning. And it's the occasion of the burning bush. And I want to, uh, I guess, a little bit of trivia right here. Just think about this and, and all. Um, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush? Think about it. I I'll give you just a few seconds to think about it. You probably think you know the answer pretty pretty quickly. And, you know, even if you, if you are kind of watching this with other people, and if y'all both maybe said something out loud and maybe... What you said matched, maybe it didn't, but it's very interesting what we actually see happening with the burning bush. So let's turn to that um, passage there in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to just read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll start to kind of uh, pay attention to some of these specific things right here. But also be kind of trying to figure it out in your, in your mind as we read this. Um, who is in the bush and who is talking to Moses right here? Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He goes on and he explains how he is going to deliver them. But do you notice who it is who is talking? Now, verse 2, you might think, well, it's the angel of the Lord, right? Because it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within the bush, right? Angel of the Lord. Yeah, that's the answer. But then in verse 4, we see that the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Okay, so the Lord seems to be present, but the angel of the Lord is in the bush. But then we also see that it says... Uh, in verse 4, also, God called to him from within the bush. Okay, and later in verse 6, he says, I am the God of your father. Okay, 
This is God. But he's appearing as the angel of the Lord in the bush, and he's appearing as God in the bush, and we also see the Lord is present. So um, who who is calling out to Moses from the bush? You, you see how this is quite detailed. You see how I believe we see a, a trinity right here. We see working. Um, you know, at, at least, if you don't want to count this as necessarily three, um, you at least see two. You know, you at least see two because God uh, calls from within the bush, but the angel of the Lord is the one that's in the bush. So, you know, what, what's going on right here? This is God communicating. This is God communicating in such a way that we can understand and that he is, he is stepping uh, within our, our human um, history, within us, our world, to be able to tell us these, these great things. And that's what he's got planned right here. And he's going to continue that, uh, continue that on. So God has revealed himself in different ways uh, in the Old Testament, in the first book, in the second book. We also can find that during the time of Judges, uh, it's kind of interesting how God is described as more than one person, but yet still God. So in the book of Judges, we see this occasion with Gideon. Judges 6, verses 22 through 23. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the, the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So you see how there's an interesting meshing right here of the angel of the Lord, but also the Lord in verses, well, 22 talks about the angel. Verse 23 talks about the Lord saying, so who is talking to him? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it the Lord? Yes, that, that's how I would respond to it because it seems like they are both present, that they are both communicating to Gideon right here, telling him that he is going to do something great during his day. Now, we also see the same type of language uh, during the time of the prophets. So we've seen it from very early on. We've seen it with Moses. We've seen it with the judges. Uh, we also see it with the prophets. An interesting uh, combination right here. Let's turn to the pages of Jeremiah and see what, uh, what Jeremiah can teach us. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, now we're going to get into maybe a phrase for God that you are familiar with, but probably not from this passage. And that is God being described as the word, right? Well, this is how it's described right here in verse four. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So now you likely uh, read passages like this in verse 4 about the word of the Lord. And you just think, okay, well, that's, you know, the Lord's word. Well, yes, it is. But whenever you actually look at the passages that the word of the Lord appears, the word of the Lord seems to be a person of the Lord. You know, it seems to be like a person who is, who is coming and who is saying things in verse 4. But we also see in verse 9 that the word of the Lord came to me in verse 4. So the word of the Lord is interacting with Jeremiah. But we see the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. It seems like the word is physically interacting with Jeremiah right here. So we've seen this from early on, uh, the, the way that God is described in multiple ways. And sometimes, you know, um, 
in very you know physical terms right here actually he seems to be um revealing himself as a human you know among them you know or at least as a as a being that can interact uh with jeremiah so we've seen this from genesis exodus we've seen it from the judges we've seen it from the prophets but we also see it during the time of christ and in fact this language right here the word of the lord you probably know that from john chapter 1 because we see this phrase, the word of the Lord, this is the same word that's talked about in the New Testament in John 1. And But it's so important to understand, it also appeared throughout the Old Testament. And in fact, if you kind of do a word search on the word of the Lord, you'll find some very interesting occasions similar to this one. That it seems that the word appears and communicates and talks and interacts and touches people. Uh, this word became flesh in the New Testament, didn't he? That's what we read about in John's Gospel. So let's read that now. In John 1, verses 1 through 3, John starts off his Gospel and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in verse 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see the Word of God. We see the Word was God. And we see the Word became flesh. This is without a doubt talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is this Word of God. And the Word of God not only appears in John in the New Testament, but that Word of God appeared throughout the Old Testament as well. See, sometimes as we read about the Trinity, we see that they appear individually at different times. And sometimes we see that they get kind of combined in some very interesting ways and sometimes confusing ways. But we see that time and time again uh, throughout the Old Testament. We also see it throughout the New Testament. In fact, I want to uh, share with you one final passage uh, from an early New Testament writing in the book of Galatians, because right there we start to see a little bit of a mesh between it. And, and this appears several times in the writings of Paul and others. We see that kind of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit language sort of get interwoven together, and they're all kind of combined because they're all talking about God. But they are talking about the individual persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, let's turn to the book of Galatians. I want to share with you one final interesting passage about all of this. Galatians 4 is talking about this wonderful plan of God, this plan that he has had uh, since before the creation of the world. This is that plan, verses 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You see that this plan of God all along is that God the Father would send his son, but we also see the Holy Spirit being mentioned right here. In fact, we not just see uh, the Spirit being mentioned. But in verse 6, we see that it's actually called the Spirit of His Son. Once again, we see this the same concept that just like the Trinity of the Old Testament, um, how he's, he's talked about and sometimes kind of meshed together. We see that in the New Testament too. The same God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who appeared throughout the pages of the Old Testament also appears throughout the pages of the New Testament. 
and the the Trinity, that that idea about how God is is more than one, but yet also one, of course, from the Old Testament, that was laying the foundation for Jesus, getting them ready to see this great thing that God was going to do through his son. And through his son, we can be able to cry out to our father. We uh, have been welcomed in to God's family. We can be part of the family of God. We can call God our Father, and we can recognize Jesus Christ, His Son, and we can be moved by the Holy Spirit. God has done great things for us. God has always been working. Let's make sure that we take hold of this great promise that we can be called a child of God. Let's make sure that we also share this news with others so that they can also be welcomed in to the family of God. God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? God, can you hear me now? God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? I cry to you with all my You will hear, you will hear me.